was the J Cut, and this is the K Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. Hello, dear listeners. My name is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love art house cinema, international cinema, a little bit of everything in between, and uh, won't we ever know it since we're heading into Oscar season very soon? So we're going to be dabbling in all sorts of stuff. Um, but in the meantime, we've got other things to tend to. Uh, who do I have with me tonight? You have Rachel. Um, I love classic cinema, international film, and lost movies. And I'm currently diving through all the potentially nominated Oscar shorts. And there's a lot of them that you can actually get online free. So I'd say go check them out. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the Alias Boutique Paul. We have the Preferred Essay podcast. And... Yeah, I'll, I'll watch just about anything once. Well, not anything. There are certain things that I won't watch, but uh, my main expertise lies in no-budget cinema. And uh, this week's episode was my topic. And I thought it might be fun to, for the first half, talk about a film that we each enjoyed from last year, and then second half, talk about one of our most anticipated films of this year. Yeah, because we, you know, as a podcast, didn't really have 2022 in review until now. Um, we took a bit of a break during the holiday season. I, I feel like uh, we've deserved one. Um, additionally, we uh, kicked things off right away with our Smorgasbord episode, which, uh, dear listeners, we will go more into that at the end of the episode. Uh, so look forward to whatever that means. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to get down to business, uh, especially because this time of year, the award season makes things a little bit strange. Like, uh, we're going to be in March by the time the Oscars happen and um, still harking on the films of 2022. So it's not necessarily a sin to still be talking about 2022 releases while looking ahead. So I feel like we're still in that area of comfort uh should you have wanted to do this in april james i i might have had to have had a talk with you <laughs> now i gotta start off the year right so many of these films are so long well that's that's another thing uh let's let's take a bet on how many films are going to be sub two and a half hours that we bring up yeah well mine's definitely not why don't you go first then Okay, well, uh, it is actually RRR, which was a huge hit on Netflix this year, and it uh, goes deep into early 20th century Indian history when they were still under the control of Britain, and it's got incredible musical numbers, amazing action sequences, great editing, and beautiful cinematography, the acting's great, the music's catchy, and I'm still confused as to why India did not submit this for the Oscars when it would have been a very easy nomination, but that's okay, it's still a great movie, and I really think anybody would like it this one is so weird because it's first off it's really good just say that off the bat uh secondly it's not so atypical when you look at the bigger picture of bollywood a lot of the films are quite like this whether it's the the length for sure you're looking at three hour films whenever you talk about bollywood almost exclusively um the uh, action for a lot of Bollywood films is like this. The infectious energy, the music. But there's just something about this that has transcended audiences and and borders. I don't really know what it is, but I'm all for it. Yeah, there was a report online of like Oscar voters who were uh, preparing for the season. And they're all, I'm so excited about RRR. I'm going to vote for that for everything. And it's just very interesting because these are sort of... 
elderly film fans who maybe aren't into musicals, don't know much about Bollywood, but it's taken off. And, you know, it's great that you bring that up because, uh, for those who don't know, uh, each country is asked to select one film per year. Which is crazy. Uh, it's a really silly rule. It's uh, gotten in the way of classics or instant classics like Portrait of a Lady on Fire when France went with Les Miserables, which is a great film, by the way. It's not the Jean Valjean story, but it's like a, a story of police brutality. Um, uh, it, it, But, you know, it's not Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So in this instance, what I'm finding is... It's getting all of the original song nominations and wins for Natu Natu, which is just what a. I mean, the song itself is quite good, but the the actual sequence and the choreography is just oh, it's Fantastic. just to die for. So I think that's like the con, like the consolation prize that a lot of people have been giving it. Like, hey, uh, why don't we give it this? Because this is kind of the most BS win that films get anyway. So why don't we give it to a film that kind of deserves a win of some sort uh, since it's not going to get the international, like the international win that it's going to get or that it deserved or, you know, could have easily gotten. Although I've talked to some film fans who are more familiar with the Indian film scene from Twitter and Reddit and things like that. And they say, well, actually, I'm glad this year that India didn't go with a style that is more Bollywood. It's not, I don't think it's technically Bollywood because it's Telugu language, but Anyway, they they went with a more experimental film. I haven't seen the film they've submitted, so that's true. Um, I, I know it's like a little erroneous to be calling um, RRR a straight up Bollywood film, but it it certainly caters to a lot of like the same mentalities for sure. But um, what I have noticed, because uh, if listeners don't know, I actually work at the Tiffball Lightbox. So I'm um, I'm like a supervisor usher hybrid. Um, what I have noticed is that the the call for South Asian cinema in general has skyrocketed. So we've been showing a lot of stuff like Kantara and Podian Selvin, um, which have had like sold out screenings for weeks, like every screening each day, like five screenings for an entire week, all sold out. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And the uh, the response is incredible, not just from the South Asian community, but from those who are like, hey, I've seen RR. I want to check out more stuff. Yeah, and uh, a lot of current films will come to local cineplexes in the Toronto area anyway. So if you're looking for something other than Top Gun Part 5, go see that. Well, luckily, we're only at Part 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But let me tell you, after Maverick, they're going to run that well dry, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm guessing, James, you haven't seen RRR. I have not. But I if it's nominated it. light. Oh, this is, I mean, this is a, clou- a crowd pleaser in general, but something about this screams, James, you're going to dig this movie. And I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah. It's also a story of rebellion against the British. And there's been a lot of discourse in recent years about uh, the the dialogue around colonialism and everything like that. And so I think that's what's resonating as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, this idea that people have different backgrounds, but also, like, this hidden... I don't want to go too, too much into spoiler territory, but, like, there are quite a few twists and turns as to, like, hidden motives. Um, And it's one of those films where, admittedly, the CGI is really not that good, but it doesn't matter because it's so much fun that I will 
force myself to believe whatever I'm seeing anyway, because it's just too badass to like just whinge about the the CGI not being good. It's just it's just so much fun this movie. Totally. Um since James you didn't get around to RRR, why don't we go with you next so you're not uh you're not completely left out of the conversation. What was your favorite film of of last year? Uh I have a strange feeling it's one that we've talked about on the pod before, but if I'm wrong I'll let you know. If I'm being honest, I didn't really get a chance to watch like much of anything yes. last year. <laughs> Yeah, life got hectic for me, so I, I didn't really get to view a lot. But uh, one of my favorites was definitely The Northman. Ooh, I, I was thinking you were going to say The Batman, but I'm even happier because I like The Batman. But I love The Northman. Let's talk about that. Oh, no, I, I love The Batman also, and I didn't even think of that. I just thought that The Northman, like, I mean, The Batman's a given that a lot of people were going to like it. Or it was actually it was kind of polarizing, but I didn't want to go with something super major, but... Uh, no, The Northman by Robert Eggers. This film was just an absolute treasure. And it didn't make a lot of money, but this wasn't a film designed to do that. I'm really enjoying Robert Eggers' career. Yes. And, you know, having seen The Lighthouse and The Witch, I was like, okay, what's he going to do next? And then seeing this movie, it it takes the Viking revenge flick thing to a whole other level. Because it has a lot of the traits that would make his style unique. And yeah, I don't know. I also like that he's sparse with the action in this film. Yeah. Compared to what a lot of other movies of this kind of cut from this cloth would do. And it's just paced very well. It's very well acted. Uh, also at, um, you know, great cast, Anya Taylor joy. He worked with her again. He brought Willem Dafoe back. Uh, there is a cameo by Bjork, which is actually, when you know this tidbit, it makes more sense because he co-written the movie with Shone, who is yeah. a frequent collaborator and former bandmate of Bjork's when she was in the Sugar Cubes. Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing I wish they would have done that he wanted to do, apparently he originally wanted to do the film in Norse, but they opted to go with English because they thought it might be a bit too much if it wasn't in English. Oh my God, those cowards. <laughs> I know, right? Least, I was like, come on now, that would have been amazing. But at but least yeah, if just, anybody could still make you feel like you're uh you're transported geographically, even in English, it's Robert Eggers, who's like a master of anthropology and like a specific dialects that really make you feel like you're not in a movie theater at home. Yeah, also it's just like I just like I like how he's just establishing his like artistry. You know, it's like, it's funny because he says that The Lighthouse is the only film he's made so far that is his exact vision. And I'm like, either way, dude, you're making classics just nonstop and just everything about this movie, especially, I don't know what it is, but the cinematography in all his movies is just amazing, absolute perfection. And also just like, you know, just the color palette of this film is just, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it was just, I I was super excited to watch it. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And then just watching the whole time, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then when you get to like the final scene, like the epic battle, and I'm not going to spoil it because it's just, oh, you just have to see it. It was like, man, I'm really excited just for anything he does next. And I think, isn't he doing the remake of Nosferatu? Yeah, he is doing um, a remake of Nosferatu, but because it's titled Nosferatu the Vampire as well, I think I could be wrong. Um, he could be doing what Werner Herzog is doing, where he's making it entirely his own. So whatever it is, I am so in for it. 
Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't get to round them much. Um, yeah, honorable mention of Batman. Also, honorable mention, and this is going to sound silly, the Bob's Burgers movie. I love that movie. I, I thought it was pretty fun. Like, I remember I'd watched it a little while when it fir- the show first came out, and I was like, oh, I hadn't seen it in a while, but I was like, you know, I'll go see the movie. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is fun. And it's like, I forgot actually how well written that show actually is. Yeah, that was a good one. And you know, it is on the animated shortlist, so maybe there's half a chance we'll be discussing it in a few weeks. A slim chance, but I mean, it's the Oscars. You never, ever know. Uh, Rachel, if you have not seen The Northman, uh, I could give you something that might make you feel incentivized. Um, It's actually based on the original Norse mythology that was the basis of William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Or sorry, uh, Hamlet is is the Shakespeare play, but Hamlet, I believe, is the uh, name of the... uh, of the of the mythology, so uh, well, what you, you have is a, my Scandinavian obsession. I'm already there. I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> that, that too. Uh, what does upset me is you know you bring up Bob's Burgers and the Oscars. Bob's Burgers has more of a chance of being nominated for for an Oscar than uh, say The Northman, which I've heard nothing about when it comes to shortlists. It came which out is, really early in the year too, which isn't uh, always a losing thing. Like everything everywhere came out fairly early, but I just think it got forgotten unfortunate actually just robert eggers films in general i think his films collectively have one nomination for cinematography for the lighthouse which i think is an absolutely sacrilegious way to go about robert eggers he is easily and i i'm in agreement here i would say he's easily one of the most promising filmmakers of of the next wave and uh the northman made my top 10 adore that movie i think it's just so angry and gritty i just love it well, uh, you know, we just talked about a very angry film, uh, like I just said, but the one that I picked is quite different. In fact, it's a lot more tender and actually bittersweet's one way to look at it. Uh, devastating is another way that I would go about it. My favorite film of last year is a, is a directorial debut, actually, by, um, by one Charlotte Wells who has made a lot of buzz lately for her uh, her first film, After Sun, which I absolutely adore. And uh, for me right now, it's not just my favorite film of last year. It's actually my favorite film of the 2020s so far. That's high praise. Um, it's a film that reminds me of Moonlight by Barry Jenkins, Lost in Translation by Sofia Coppola, these types of films that are nostalgic in one sense, but they also seem to transcend time in another or transcend like they're bittersweet or they're melancholic. Like they've got melancholy in them, but they also cannot be labeled with a specific emotion either. Like uh, to give you some backstory, because uh, my understanding is neither of you have seen this, correct? Not yet. I have not. Uh, please, for the love of God, tell me that you will because it gets nominated at this rate. I mean, who knows? But uh, lead actor in the film, Paul Mescal, actually just got nominated for a BAFTA, so you never know. Um, After Sun is a semi-autobiographical film by Wells, like very, very, very barely. Uh, it's a story that takes place in the late 90s about a, an estranged father uh, who takes his ex-wife like you know his his daughter from his ex-wife uh to take her on a trip uh you never see the ex-wife in the entire film by the way so what happens is the father who is down on his luck trying to make a good impression in his daughter's life again is trying to give her the trip of a lifetime 
to make her care about him again. And the film is never showy or pushy. Like I'm trying my best. Why don't you care? Like, it's not like that at all. It's very minimalist with how it deals with things. So the, uh, the daughter character who's played by a first, a first timer, Frankie Corio, who I think we're going to be seeing a lot of, actually, she's a brilliant actress. Um, She's very observant and very switched on. So you could just kind of see the gears in her head when she picks up on things that her father might not be able to afford or uh, why did the other kids get these things that we don't. Um, So that's how we kind of realize stuff is through her perspective. And then the father again, played so well by Paul Mescal never has this Oscar winning monologue moment, scene stealing, whatever it's, so real and at the same time uh you know the the direction that we have from charlotte wells is just so nostalgic but not stupid about it um it's so tender but also rips your heart in half and there's a whole subplot which i'm not even gonna bother getting into which kind of barely exists only in little hints even throughout the entire film but once you piece together what exactly you're looking at it changes the entire picture to the point that the very final shot that you see changes the entire scope of what you've just watched. And it begs you to rewatch the entire film from the start. And I cannot stress enough how much I adore this film. And I think, I think it's one that will be like Moonlight, like Lost in Translation talked about for a very long time in like, maybe like, film art classes or story writing like this is not the last that we've seen of charlotte wells like this is a sensational near perfect debut maybe i'll watch it tomorrow if you do please let me know what you think it's just sublime i adore this film to to no end um and thank you for this episode topic because i will continue to talk about this film at any given moment well i hope you get a chance in the next few weeks Oh, please, for the love of God. If if After Sun goes completely nomination-free, I will be furious. <laughs> well, we're looking ahead towards the Oscars, which on that note, we will be doing our uh, Oscars roundtables, where we go over every single category, ranking everything and going over our favorites. But while we're looking ahead, why don't we look at some films that aren't in Oscar contention? Because, uh, quite frankly, they're not even out yet. Well, uh, mine is probably not going to be playing for any Oscars because I don't think it's going to be the greatest movie of all time or the greatest movie of the year. But it's a huge sentimental one for me. I briefly considered doing the Barbie one, but I know a lot of people already know about that. But I am so looking forward to the adaptation of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which I've talked to you guys about oh, many times. Is that Judy Blue? Oh, yeah. It is Judy Bloom, okay. and uh, the book originally came out in the 70s, and it's about a girl who's about 11 or 12, and she's in that weird, awkward stage where she really doesn't want to be a kid anymore, but she's not quite a teenager, and so she's kind of desperate to grow up, and it's just a really hard time for a lot of young people, and there's a lot of shame surrounding it, and in the 70s, when the book came out, that was uh, especially true, and so it was really revolutionary for its day. There wasn't much young adult fiction at all let alone stuff that was as frank as this was about identity, about growing up, about um, starting to have relationships with people and all of this stuff. Um, So it was a real 
for me growing up, it was a really great touchstone of a book. And it sounds like from the trailer and the promo, the movie got it right. Uh, Rachel McAdams is playing the mom and Kathy Bates is playing the grandma who's kind of Margaret's confidant. And it keeps the 70s setting with all the fashions and some of the old timey products, things like that. It's really, I just really hope they got it right. And I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, if you stated who's directing it, I apologize. Do you know who's behind the camera for this? It's Kelly Freeman Craig, and uh, she directed The Edge of Seventeen, so there you go. Which is not a bad film, so okay. Yeah, and the actress playing Margaret's a newcomer, so uh, I'm sure she'll be great. Sounds good to me. And, yep, it's a highly coveted novel. Um, you've got a director who's dealt with young adult issues before, so this could be a perfect match. And when they hang on to the rights for that long and then let them go, something's up. Yeah, it's as if, um, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of what happened with Midage Daydream and, and David Bowie's estate, where it's like something clicked with this film that made them say, okay, we will allow this. And once you see Midage mm-hmm. Daydream, it's just, oh my God, what a spellbinding film. So, uh, yep, you might be right. They might be onto something. And Rachel McAdams is playing the mom of a teenager, which is scary. Uh, mean Girls is 20 years old. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, God. Uh, James, please take us somewhere else. I don't want to think about that anymore. All right. So uh, my most anticipated film this year is Evil Dead Rise. Yes. Okay. Um, for a few very specific reasons. Um, one, this year, I think, is coming up on the 20th year of me being a fan of this movie, of the series. Hmm. Uh, yeah, um, many, many years ago, I was just kind of going through some stuff in family's basement and I happened to find a VHS copy of the original Evil Dead and I was like, oh, this seems interesting. I watched it and loved it. Um, you know, uh, it was also, the series was one of my dad's favorite series. I remember when the remake came out in 2013, we were super excited, you know, that was 10 years ago and I was like, oh, great, we get to see it. And then, you know, I don't remember when this was announced, but I remember I was really excited and told him that this was coming out. And, you know, because he was a big fan of the series. He also loved the um, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which I still have yet to see. And, yeah, I if I see one movie in theaters, it'll be this one because, you know, it's yeah. I mean, I I don't get to see it with him. And that was the person I was going to bring. So I'm really going in honor of him. I'm really sorry to hear again, James, but uh, that's a that's a very tender, a very tender reason. And I'm sure I'm sure you're going to enjoy for the both of you. Yeah, it's also it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's hard to think 20 years ago. I saw saw one of the, one of the few films that changed my life because it was yeah, it was also that was kind of what sparked my fascination with like low budget stuff because I don't know his approach to it was just I couldn't believe someone made something like that. That's actually a very good point. Uh, I used to be, uh, you wouldn't know this, uh, back when I was into like extreme death and black metal, um, I was also only into horror films and that's all that I exclusively watched. Um, Evil Dead, I was obsessed with Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Uh, it's almost like those two films, to an extent, even the second one, even though it had a better budget, it's almost like they're they're the essence of what it's like to be a teenager making a movie with a home video camera, but like with a budget. It's just got that vibe, but it's like one of the best examples of what it feels like without actually being that. Yeah, I see what you mean. Oh, I, I didn't even know that was coming out. That was completely off my radar. Well, my it was mind. originally going to be streaming only, but then they decided they're doing a theatrical release. 
Does this have anything to do with Bruce Campbell this time around, or uh, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and their um, uh, Robert Tapert are executive producers? Actually, I think Robert Tapert is actually one of the main producers, but Bruce Campbell and um, Sam Raimi are executive producers, so they are involved. But it's written and directed by somebody completely different. Fancy. Well, that sounds like a good pick. Uh, both of yours sound like really good picks because mine seems like I'm excited for it and I'm sticking with it, but it just seems so on the nose. It's not Barbie, but I'm very excited for that as well. I don't care what anyone says. I and, can't wait for that movie to come out. And, I'm so and excited. Greta Gerwig, I trust. So but They're not using the Aqua song, so it's automatically useless. No, hey, come on. No, but that that means, that, well, first off, they're not using it because they didn't get the rights to it, I don't think. But let's pretend that they're using it because they've got an actual idea as to what vision they have. That's and it's the coming out the same weekend that. as Oppenheimer. Oh, I think it's the same day, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same exact day. <laughs> what a double feature, my goodness. The the end of society as we know it, whether it's nuclear bombs or, uh, or co- consumerism. I don't know. <laughs> Again, mine's very on the nose. But I don't care. I'm sticking with it. And I wouldn't have to have said this if one certain Martin Scorsese, as they say in Birdman, um, didn't hold off until this year. But yes, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which I am so stupidly excited for. First and foremost, a lot of people who misattribute Scorsese as a gangster or crime film auteur only are so dead wrong Having said that, we have yet to see an actual Western by the guy. What the hell is he going to do with a Western? That is just already I'm sold. Secondly, it's the first film, and I don't know how much screen time they're going to be sharing together, but it's the first time that Scorsese veterans Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are in the same film. Under Scorsese's purview, I mean. Also amazing. Thirdly, we've got, you know, quite a cast with Lily Gladstone, I believe, who's like the the lead of this film. Uh, Jesse Plemons, I believe, is like also like a considerably large part. Um, But we have award season darling who might be an Oscar nominee and winner. Brendan Fraser is going to be in this thing as well. And after the whale, my goodness, I will watch this guy anything. So um, there are so many things about this, but the final selling point. And this could be wrong, but my understanding is that... Oh, and another minor point. This is an Apple TV Plus exclusive, which, let me tell you, they have been on. So that's also I mean, they won Best Picture last year. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they actually beat Netflix at their own race, which is hilarious. Um, but this film was held off, from my understanding, not because it wasn't finished, but because they wanted it to be eligible for next year's Palm d'Or at Cannes. That, I'm telling you, that, that's it. I'm done. The last time an American filmmaker did that, to the best of my knowledge, was for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, which I know was not everybody's opinion, but that's like my third favorite film of his after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction in, in no particular order. So, love it. I mean, this this is my film. I'm sorry, Kills of the Flower Moon. If this ends up being bad, I might quit the pod. I'll be so disappointed. So, wait. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was held off for Khan and Killers of the Flower Moon was held off for Khan. What if this is just Leo wanting to get a free trip to Khan for a vacation? I mean, 
You never know. Maybe, maybe that's like, you know what? I'm going to set my course for my massive yacht all the way to, all the way to the Parisian shores. Let's do it. Actually, I don't even know if Paris is, has a shore. Let's maybe cut that part out. (laughs) It's just like Leonardo DiCaprio setting sights with his yacht being like, you know what? I'm going to travel all the way to Europe, you know, get off here, book it to, book it to Cannes, and here we go. Just like, it's his version of doing the Adam Sandler thing where he shoots on location, except instead of like filming a film here, he <laughs> decides to go to the go to the Cannes Film Festival every year. <laughs> Unfortunately, that did not work for Don't Look Up, but hey, it's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, those are uh, three films from last year that we all loved, and three films that we're looking forward to this year, where hopefully this time next year, we're championing these films, these very films that we uh, discussed and brought up. Uh, but if not, I'm sure we'll have some great stuff to discuss. And we've got a lot of stuff to discuss this year as well. And there's only one spot that you could find us in. And we're also going to go through our cinematic smorgasbord recommendations for films that you listeners at home could be checking out. Right. Well, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And... We are going for Cinematic Smorgasbord with a lot of M's this month. We've got uh, Medicine for Melancholy, Mirror, and last but not least, M. And then our collective uh, pick is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. I think I got that right. I think so. If not, it's too late. (laughs) So, fantastic. Uh, We've got quite an array of different things there, but they're all classics in their own right or beloved in their own right. So, we've got a lot of good stuff. Otherwise, for the end of this episode, I mean, we're cinephiles. We just cannot stop talking about film. Why don't we just give some random recommendations like we always do? What are some films in our mind that we just want to get out to get out? Tell the world you got to watch these films. Okay. Um, Well, this will undoubtedly come up in the next few weeks, but everybody should go watch Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, which is impossible to say several times fast. And is also just this really heartfelt tender film that you would never expect because it's such a weird premise but it really is beautifully animated it's a contemplative film i'd call it and isabella rossellini's in it so you know oh love marcel the shell it's just so cute so moving oh we actually my girlfriend and i have a little marcel figurine from a24 in our home so yes i we're in agreement james what about you Let's see. You know, I'm going to go with another film I enjoyed from last year, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Okay. that That's very Sam Raimi. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, I, when I found out he was directing it, I got really excited because I was like, oh, what's he going to do with it? Now, it's not the be- one of the best Marvel films, but it's definitely a really good Sam Raimi film. It definitely has a lot of his hallmarks of his style just like weaved in throughout. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, de- it's definitely fun. Fantastic. Well, for all going with films from last year, consider it perhaps our, you know, number twos or, uh, you know, other films in our top 10. Um, there was only one film that I was considering like the top of last year and like my, my sole perfect score until after sun came out. And for a while that was the return of Todd field, who is a fantastic filmmaker who has directed in the bedroom, little children. And now his magnum opus tar starring Kate Blanchett in possibly one of her best roles and, maybe her best role she's ever done, which is saying a lot. Um, Best actress is going to be rough this year. Oh, it is. Like, on one hand, Michelle Yeoh for everything everywhere, because she's just never been nominated before, never won. And for her entire body of work, 
please give her an Oscar. But at the same time, this is one of Kate Blanchett's best. It's one of her best. And like, ah, oh my God. See what happens. You never know. We could have a, who was it? It was Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn where they had a tie. Uh, Of course it was Catherine Hepburn. Yes. (laughs) You never know. Hey, and guess who played Catherine Hepburn and won an Oscar for it? It's a conspiracy. It's Kate Blanchett. So there you go. It's the, the ghost of Catherine Hepburn lives on. So Tar is about uh, a power-hungry yet prestigious uh, conductor of classical music who unfortunately uses her power to try and get things to go her way. And this three-hour film is a slow burn that shows you that karma karma's vicious. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Tar is a... Uh, it's a thunderous film. I just adore it. Well, we've given you quite a few films to check out. And please let us know what you think via our socials. So that was the K-Cut. We are now going into our alpha. Bye.